Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Fantasy Injury Team Podcast. Today's topic, NFL rookies. Who stood out at the Combine? Who should you pick in redraft and dynasty? How will rookie injuries impact their year one performance? All that and much more answered on today's show. Tom, welcome back. Welcome to the show. Happy to have you. We have a great show here we'll talk about in a little bit. What's going on, man? How's things? Things are well, man. I just had an awesome weekend at uh, my buddy Ben Harris and his his now wife, Jamie's wedding down in St. Augustine, Florida, which, by the way, Joe, I was texting you about this. I never knew that that was the oldest city in, in the country. You being a history teacher, I asked you for a history lesson and you gave me one. I hooked you up a little bit. Uh, for those of you at home, Tom frequently texts me when he's at a random location. It could be Spain. It could be Mexico. Joe, give me the entire history of this place. <laughs> I try. I try to come up with some relevant information, You know, some stuff I can't answer, but it's always fun to give you a little history lesson, Tom. Yeah, you did a great job. It, it's a really cool city because like, they still have the walls up from like the 1500s when everyone was invading everyone by, by boat. So it's, it's a super cool town. Highly recommend going. Would love to check it out. Some good baseball down there as well as the weather starts to turn here. But uh, speaking of good weather, we got football coming up before we know it. What is this? April, April 19th. We're it's going to be here before we know it. I think it's time to start preparing, Tom. Is it too early? It's always time to be preparing, Joe. Football, football is 12 months a year. We have two amazing, awesome interviews today. One with active NFL agent of ASC representation. He's going to talk to us about the pre-draft process and another one with Nick Mazzillo of DLF Football. He's going to give us the rookie breakdown. So let's start with our first interview, Christian Addison. Again, he's an NFL agent, an active NFL agent. He's going to talk to us a little bit about what it takes to become a recognized NFL agent, a little bit about the pre-draft process, the training regimen, and plenty more. Enjoy the interview. Hello, Fit Squad. We have a very special guest joining us today. He's an active NFL agent and the CEO and founder of ASE Representation, which is a full-service sports and entertainment representation and marketing agency that focuses on professional football, golf, lacrosse, and the name, image, and likeness industry. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Christian Addison. Christian, what's up, man? What's up, buddy? I appreciate you having me on, man. Been wanting to come on for a while, dude. Good to be on. Hell yeah, man. So you can find Christian on Twitter at ASE underscore R-E-P-R. All other socials are at ASE representation. So Christian, we just linked up last weekend. Great wedding. Congrats to Ben and Jamie, our good friends. Yeah. Um, he, but what I wanted to start with is a conversation that we had three weeks ago at Ben's bachelor party. So. You're an NFL agent, and we were together at the time that this wild report comes out about Lamar Jackson has some mystery guy representing him, and the NFL sent a memo to the entire league saying, do not talk to this man. He's not, he's not a credentialed agent, I believe is what they were saying. You are a credentialed agent. So can you talk to us about what goes into becoming an, an NFL-recognized agent? Like, What are the requirements for that? Yeah, no, for sure. So um, it, it is, you know, the NFL is different than the NBA and it's different than the MLB. Basically, every single league kind of has some some differentiators. And for some odd reason, the NFL is definitely the most tedious, um, you know, for their application process. 
you have to have a collegiate degree and then you have to have some graduate degree that the NFLPA deems applicable to other athletes. It's the only league that requires that. So what you see typically is, you know, I would probably say 70% of agents are attorneys, but then a lot of the other ones have MBAs or they have masters and marketing or masters and, you know, branding, like something along those lines that the NFLPA says, okay, this person has this higher education in some regard, and they can use it to help benefit the player. So, you know, basically you have to go and get one of those, and then you apply to the NFLPA to become an agent, and they do a background check and like look into your previous jobs and things like that. And then they either approve you or don't approve you. If they don't approve you, you can apply later in life. You know, if you go and try and, you know, I guess build upon your application, and if they do approve, approve you, then you go and you sit for a test, uh, which I think if I remember, I think it's a, 60, 60 question test and it's spanned over two days. And, you know, there's a certain percentage each year that pass. I, I think I took it during COVID and I think it was a, you know, 65% pass rate maybe, but the last couple years since I've taken it, that uh, passage rate has gone way down. I think this past year, like only like 30% passed it. So I don't know if they're making the test harder. If so, I'm glad that I took it a few years ago before they made it harder. <laughs> <For> sure. <laughs> yeah. It's so like this test is, do they give you like material and a prep for it? Or how do you know what content is going to be on it? Yeah. So basically there, there are like preparatory tests out there. Um, I, I did not take a preparatory test since because I did not actually know that it was that they had them out there. Since I've become an agent and I've met a couple of the people that hold these tests, you know, I can definitely recommend one to your listeners. His name's Neil Stratton and he runs a company called Inside the League. And you know, this is something that I'm sure we'll get into later in the podcast, but he's an individual that I found that helps mentor young agents. And like, my God, like ever since I met him, my knowledge and kind of ends into the industry just, you know, increased dramatically. So if you're out there considering taking the NFL PA exam, that's someone that I would, I would certainly recommend. Um, but outside of that, like when you sign up at the NFLPA, they basically just send you everything from, you know, the collective bargaining agreement to just every single rule and regulation that applies to NFL players. And, you know, what I did is I just read through those materials just, you know, constantly, probably a couple months out from the test, I would just read through them constantly and found a couple practice tests online and did that. And then, you know, went in and took the test and thankfully everything worked out. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're an attorney. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. So yeah. so when you read something like a collective bargaining agreement, where to me that would be a combination of Spanish and Chinese, that makes <laughs> a little bit more sense to you, I, I would assume. Yeah. So it's actually and the thing that was thing that was good was that the test is open book. Um and you know, sometimes that's scary in the sense that, you know, when you're in college, if a teacher's like, hey, it's open book, you're like, well, shit, that means there's <laughs> like an impossible test. But absolutely, you know, every, every yeah, time. I think that I just, I, I went through and I just tabbed, you know, the hell out of my book just with like trigger 
trigger words and stuff like that. So basically when I was going through those practice tests, I kind of got used to it in the sense of, okay, I'm looking at a, at a particular problem that's dealing with like disability insurance. And then, you know, I would have that tab and boom, I would go to it and just look at it real quick. So yeah, it, it certainly helped. But what I will say is that um, you do not have to be an attorney to, to pass the NFLPA exam. I think it's just a matter of sitting down and really going through that dry material and just, you know, learning it and then being able to take it. So really anyone can take it. I think, especially if you take one of the preparatory classes. Yeah. And, and you say dry material, which I'm sure it is, but I'm sure the stuff in there is so valuable to your players. Cause you, you hear all the time about these guys coming into the NFL or the NBA or whatever league it may be. And they have this immediate success. And then two, three years later, they're not in the league anymore. And life is not what it was in the NFL. So I'm yeah. sure you as the agent or someone that they really, really trust. So if you are really understanding of all that information and able to guide them, that can really benefit them even after they're no longer in the NFL. Yeah, of course. And it's something that I really, uh, you know, this is my first year being able to jump into this industry. So I haven't been able to really live and practice yet, um, all of it, but it, it's crazy when you're going through the process, they show you statistics of like how many benefits of the CBA go unused each year. And it's whether a player is using like tuition credit to go finish off like his degree or his master's or you know, they're using some benefit to take their family to Disneyland in the off season. Like just say, there's all these crazy wild little perks that are in there. And, you know, to your credit, I think that's a place where you can differentiate yourself as an agent. If you go in there and you're tracking all that stuff and you're constantly telling your players about what's available to them, you know, even outside of just their standard contract, I do think that's a, that's an area where you can differentiate yourself. For sure. No doubt. All right, let's switch gears here. Uh, so you represent a couple of guys who have a potentially big day coming up with the yeah. NFL draft next Fingers week. Fingers crossed, man. We are, we're recording this on uh, Monday, April 17th. We've got, what, 10 days left? Yeah, man. Who's counting though, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're, ju you're just as nervous <laughs> as they are. Um, let's... Uh, why don't you kind of just kind of take us through what this pre-draft process is like for, for these athletes? You know, we see so much about when, when they're on the field, but we as fans, we don't see a whole lot of this behind the scenes, combine prep, interview prep, draft prep, all that stuff. What is it? What does that look like? Yeah, man. So this will be <clears throat> the craziest this will be the most hectic points in their entire career. And it's, it's kind of difficult to comprehend that I think as fans, because you inherently think, well, no, when, when they get to the NFL, that that's the, that's the craziest thing. And then you kind of dial it back and think about what these players have gone through over the past year to get to this point. And the, the way it works is that, you know, they had, spring ball before their last year in college. And then they come back to school early. And from the time that they get back to school, getting ready for, you know, their collegiate training camp all the way up until their collegiate season, they have been going nonstop. So they play an entire collegiate football season. They head home basically for Christmas break. Uh, but not every single player gets to do that because a lot of players are playing in bowl games. So they're back practicing for that. So 
players get at most a week break in December, and then they are going back and playing in their bowl game for a collegiate bowl game. And then straight from there, they might get a night off for New Year's Eve. And then they're immediately to pre-draft training. So from the beginning of January, all the way up until their pro day, which occurs like mid to late March, they are training six days a week, nonstop, doing nothing but eating, working out. And then your rest day, that one day that you get off, you're typically getting massages or doing mobility work or doing rehab in some regard. So, you know, you come out of that bowl game, you know that you're going to training. So you go immediately go to training for a few weeks. You are adjusting to your new environment. You know, people train all across the country. Obviously, everyone wants to go to Miami and Dallas and L.A. because they want to be in this bougie place and get like this super nice gym facility. And yeah, dude, if I was an athlete like that, I would too. You know what I mean? But that is certainly um, those prices are, are very, very expensive. Um, and the agent is almost always typically expected to cover that. So a lot of times what happens is those, those facilities, you know, you get for what you pay for, right. That the ones down in Miami and stuff like that, they're very expensive, but you get everything, man. They cover you from top to bottom training, food, pre-workout, post-workout shakes, massages, rental cars, places to stay, all of that thing. So it's really all the bells and whistles. And you go and you're there for a couple weeks in January, and then boom, you go to your all-star game. So if you're trying to get in the draft, you need to have your agent or you need to yourself go get yourself into a bowl game. And there's really there's tons of bowl games. I mean, there's probably 30, but really there's six bowls that are considered the top six. And it's College Gridiron Showcase, the Hula Bowl, the Tropical Bowl. Those are the, you know, four, five, and six. And then the top three are the East-West Shrine Bowl, the Reese Senior Bowl, and then, why am I throwing a blank right now? That'll come back to me. There's one more, and I don't know why I'm throwing a blank on that right now. Um, the hula bowl. Did I say? I don't know if I said the hula bowl. I think you did. But that's yeah. that's interesting. I never realized that there was, uh, for lack of a better word, politics on getting the players into these games. Um, I, I always thought that they were like voted to in or, or something like that. I, I didn't realize that you guys had a, had a role to play there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, sorry, I think I did say that Hula Bowl, the other one was the NFLPA Bowl. So those are the top six that are that if you are trying to get drafted, if you are trying to be a priority free agent, you need to go to one of those six, um, unless you are of a talent level that's so good that you don't need to go prove yourself. And yes, that is something that's really critical as a role of an agent is how, where, how can you promote your player? Where can you get him into? Which game can you get him into? Um, because again, if the bigger the game they're at, the more scouts get to see them and the more scouts that get to see them, the more their stock rises. So that was something that was really a big thing for me in the sense of trying to sign people being a solo guy and this being my first year was 
okay, I need to go out. I need to network with bowl directors. I need to get my guys into a bowl game so that they can be seen. Um, and, and that's what I ended up doing. Both my guys went to the College Gridiron Showcase, which is in Dallas, Texas. It's the very first of the big six bowls. It happens the first week of January. So for my players, they were training out in Nashville um, for their pre-draft training. So they both reported on New Year's Eve worked out that day, New Year's Day. They worked out that day too. And they worked out until January 5th. And then they went straight to Dallas for a week, did their all-star bowl game week. And then when they came back and from mid-January all the way up until the end of March, their pro day, they were on that six to seven day training schedule that I told you about. So it, it's crazy, man. Like you, they're just bouncing all across the country and then they do their pro day and then, you know, all the scouts get to see them. And it's, it's really the biggest day of their entire lives, man, that they have just their sure. entire career has been up until that point. And then you have your pro day and then it's like, do I get a rest? No, I, I don't get to rest. I need to really rip it this last month before the draft, because once the draft happens, then they're on to OTAs and, you know, fingers crossed every player makes it through OTAs and they make the 90 man roster. And then it's off season training all the way up into training camp and then the NFL season. So it's really the only point ever in an, in a football player's athletic career that they go 18 months nonstop. And it's just, it's crazy um, to think that their bodies can just endure that and persevere. Well, they're young. They're not like us. Mm-hmm. Us, us 30 year olds we couldn't do that yeah we couldn't even make it a week <laughs> seriously wow that that's awesome so you, you mentioned you know just kind of getting in uh to, to to network for some of these bowl directors and whatnot um what, what are what are some some other ways that you're growing the exposure of your players yeah so that that's something that's actually been pretty fun for me to learn uh this last month and it is, you know, both of my guys are small school guys. I represent a guy named Cole Coleman. He is a safety out of Elon University in North Carolina. And then Braxton Westfield, he's a wide out from Carson Newman in Tennessee. So they're smaller school guys. And inherently, when you're a smaller school guy, you don't get as much exposure. So it's important for and, and what that means is that when you're not getting a ton of exposure, you're not on TV all the time or you're not playing a game of the week where a ton of scouts are watching, you know, it results in scouts just not being able to see all your film. Because again, they're running across the country 24 seven, looking at thousands and thousands of people. So just because scouts don't see your film, it doesn't mean that you're not good. It just means that maybe you slip through the cracks somehow. So, you know, my role and my challenge as an agent these last few months is how do you gain exposure for your players? So really what I did is I would get on Twitter and I would research every single sports analyst that I possibly could. I mean, obviously there's people like the big name, Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter and things like that. So, you know, you're never going to get a response from those big outlets because those people receive hundreds and hundreds of messages. So you really have to go deep down and find people that not only have big social followings, but also that you think gives an accurate opinion of that player. So, you know, got very active over social media across every platform, you know, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, found people that were posting stuff, 
you know, went through all their stuff, saw if it was accurate, saw if I agreed, saw if their evaluations I thought would be worthwhile, and then hit them up. And that was something that was was fun to do. And, you know, for both players, I had a few posts go viral, both of their 40s and both of their verts. And it's crazy, man. Like, you know, Cole, for example, he's the he's the fastest safety in the combine. And he he ran a 40. I got a video of it at Pro Day. I hit up one Twitter account. They posted it and it was three million views that that account. Yeah. Yeah, man. Good work. Yeah. So that account, I think he posted it like 10 PM. Um, in the very next morning, you know, ESPN called to get his top 10 clips for the draft, like a few scouts called and, you know, it's all because they saw it on Twitter. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's like the, it's the power of social media, man. And that part's been fun. It's the power of just, not being afraid to slide into someone's DMs. Like I've had similar success with that. Like you send the message that is somebody who's in a, in a position that you want to be in from a, from like a following standpoint. And you just say, screw it. I'm going to send it. And if they don't answer what, what nothing negative is going to come. If they don't answer only good things can happen if they do answer. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. no. And it's, that's such a good point because I think that is, Something that maybe my first few months as an agent, I didn't fully appreciate or trust. Um, I was just a little hesitant to go throw myself out there. Like, you know, I, I, I kind of compare being an agent to like sales, you know, in a way. And and I'm, I don't have a sales mind. And you hear that in sales, like you hear no 99.9% of the time. And that's how it is as an agent. Like I hit up scouts all the time, trying to get information on what they view my players or players that they view for next year's draft. And 99% of the time, you're not getting a response, but you just got to keep going. And it's the exact same thing with, you know, me hitting up players for social media. And just like you said, just life in general, man, like just shoot the shot because to your credit, man, like if, if someone doesn't respond, who cares? Like they, they're never going to remember it because they're moving on with your life and you should too. Exactly. Exactly. So let's um, let's say the draft has concluded and a player did not hear their name called. That's not the end though. You know, we right away, it feels like a minute after the draft ends, teams start signing players. Yep. How how does the undrafted free agent find their home? Like, is this typically a team that you knew they were interested to begin with? It just didn't work out in those first seven rounds. But now that team's like, let me call this guy immediately. Uh, What does that look like? Yeah. And it's crazy. This really isn't something that I knew either as a, as a fan until the last few months when I've really been learning this process is teams from scouts to GMs, they told me (laughs) the easy part of the NFL draft is actually the draft. The most stressful part is the second the draft ends and figuring out who you're getting post-draft. And it's because it is the most crazy phone frenzy where every single scout that they have are calling agents and players that they know that they're trying to get after the draft. Because like you said, like every single year, people who are undrafted make the team and sometimes become a superstar, like make the 53 man roster. So it's like, it's really important for them. And you know, after the draft, there's, there's three types of players. There is a priority free agent, 
you know, referred to as a PFA, there's an undrafted free agent, a UDFA, and then there's kind of like a subset of UDFA just called like a rookie minicamp guy. So a priority free agent, those are those people that pretty much every single team in the league is eyeing. Um, it is typically, you know, a skill position or something along those lines and teams will pay a premium to get that player. So they will call some wide receiver and be like, Hey, we really want you. We'll offer you a $50,000 signing bonus to come over here, you know, and, and be on our team. Then there's the undrafted free agent where typically their signing bonus will be anywhere from one to 10 K. And then there's a rookie mini camp guy where essentially a team will just call and say, Hey, you can come to our rookie mini camp following the draft. You're not going to get any money, but you're just coming to compete to see if you want to make the 90 man roster. So really what will happen is the draft happens, then the team signs everyone they can in that, you know, undrafted area. And then a week or two later, that's when rookie minicamp happens. And after that OTA rookie minicamp, they select 90 players to move forward with all the way through preseason. So, you know, for my guys in particular, you know, obviously being small school guys, it is, it's always an uphill battle to be drafted. Um, you know, we are excited because we think that what each of them did on their pro days really put the league on notice that they're small school guys, but they can compete and in a lot of cases overcompete people that were considered drafted. So we're really hoping that they slip into the latter rounds of day three. Um, but from what we've heard with scouts, kind of the worst case scenario we have right now is that they're in that PFA territory. So, you know, when it comes to us, how we negotiate that, it's important because, you know, there's kind of two considerations, right? Money is one, obviously, how much guaranteed money you can get from a team. But then two, it is how can I make a 53-man roster? Because a lot of athletes are like, hey, I'm just trying to make money. The two guys that, you know, the thing that I love most about them is they're like, I'm I'm going to play football. Like I am going to make a 53-man roster. So going into it, both of my guys are like the thing that I care about the most is the roster that I'm going to. So, you know, if a team calls us and says, hey, well, you know, say they fall out of the draft and a team calls and says, hey, we'll give you 20K to come here. But then another team says, hey, we'll give you 15K to come here. But that roster, you know, has the ability to have my guy come in and immediately be a backup with a chance to compete for a starting role my guys in all likelihood are going to choose the 15 K option because they want to go to the better program in order to let them play because they're going to bet on themselves every time and say, Hey, look, I might have a small signing bonus now, but I'm betting on myself to be a starter. So, you know, a year into my contract, I can try and renegotiate that. Love that mentality. And that is something that I did not know that there's three different tiers of un essentially of undrafted free agents and that, alters the amount of money they're making really mm -hmm. um let's say you're undrafted and you get all the way through camp and then don't make the roster are they getting paid the whole time or is it just that initial signing bonus yeah so great question so every single person that gets drafted they sign a four-year contract and that's standard that is a collective bargaining agreement contract they they sign four years any undrafted free agent person, they sign a three-year contract. 
So, you know, we could go into situations where it's actually benefit a benefit to if you are at the end of the draft, like sometimes it's a benefit to you to go undrafted because you can sign a three-year deal, which means you hit free agency a year earlier. A perfect example of that is James Robinson. You know, James Robinson was a three-year deal coming as undrafted, and then he got to hit free agency a year earlier. So now he's on a veteran contract with the Pats. So, he, you know, what he's making this year is more than what he's made the past three years. Um, so that's a circumstance there. Um, but basically in the undrafted free agent territory, you know, they get their signing bonus. Like I said, that kind of depends on how you're viewed and basically the leverage that you have. And then all the way up through essentially training camp, you are paid per diem. So the team pays for your hotel and your food and stuff like that, but you are not actually on like a contract contract. But once you hit preseason and you are hitting your games, you are getting paid that vet, you are getting paid that rookie minimum salary for those games. And then if you stay on the team, boom, you have that official three-year contract. But if you get cut during preseason, then you're just cut, you know, an undrafted free agent contract isn't guaranteed. So it's very team friendly. And that's why they take on 90 players. And then, you know, they cut down to 53 and that those 37 players, you know, all of their contracts that were for three years, just whoosh, go away. And they're not guaranteed anything. The only thing you're guaranteed is that signing bonus that I told you. So that's when it's clutch, where if you're some priority free agent, you know, at least you made 50 grand because again, that training that I told you about earlier, that training can be anywhere from five to 40 grand, um, you know, depending on where you are. Yeah. That's, that's, oof, that's a lot. That's, but, but like you said, they're, they're betting on themselves they're investing yep. in themselves. So, I mean, oh, yeah. for a lot of them that is paid off quickly. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and here's, here's another thing that's always baffled me as a fan. Why the hell do some of these negotiations takes so damn long like the two <laughs> examples right now are lamar jackson and aaron Rodgers. is it that these two parties will just go several days without even speaking to each other or is it like is is there something that we're we're missing here i do not understand why it takes so long yeah. to get these guys signed sometimes when other times it's very quick yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it, yeah, you were, you were hitting the nail on the head, man. And a lot of times, um, the, the, I think the frustrating part for like everyone involved in those situations is that the media never fully knows what's going on, right? Like the Lamar situation that you brought up, it, it clearly I'm an NFL agent, right? So I'm biased. And I think that, I think that an agent helps, right? Like, I think I'm probably one of the few agents that thinks that what Lamar Jackson is doing right now is incredibly empowering, man. Like if you're an athlete and you can go negotiate your own contract, like more power to you. That's, that's sweet, man. I, I don't, in my opinion, I do not think it's a smart idea with what's going on when you are like a quarterback as talented as Lamar. And I think it's really unfortunate what's happening to him right now, because I think he's losing leverage. But at the end of the day, I am hoping that he pulls this off and he's able to land that big contract for him. But in relation to his situation, I do think it's difficult because it's a negotiation, right? So a team is going to come in and they're going to lowball you to try and 
get to try and pay as less as possible. Where when you're an athlete and you're a former league MVP, rightfully so, you get pissed when a team comes in and lowballs you. So they're like, hey, we think you're this amount when in reality they think you know you're way higher and an athlete like Lamari gets turned off so I, I think that that is fairly accurate that that's what's going on with the Aaron Rodgers thing man like I, you know there are so many reports out right now that it kind of tells you that we really know, don't know what's going on is Aaron trying to dictate you know, the Jets to sign certain people, or is it the Packers that are unwilling to trade something? What I think will really happen is when the trade, when the, when the draft comes, a trade's going to happen on night one. I think, I think a lot of it sometimes is for the show. They want it to be built around hype that they could have done this deal two weeks ago, but now all of a sudden they want the storyline, the night of the draft to be around the Packers and the Jets. So a lot of times teams will talk about that. But then I think in in relation to everything else, I think a lot of it goes around what your leverage is. You know, Jalen Hurts, like Jalen Hurts locked down the biggest contract really per capita in history today, and no one even really knew that they were negotiating. So who is that credited to? I I think a large part of that is is the agent, but, but even more so the player, because like Jalen wasn't coming out talking about how he's renegotiating his contract and he thinks this, or he thinks that like they were just in complete silence. Right. And then boom, it drops. But then, you know, there's other people going on right now where it's just dragging out forever. And it's unfortunate because I don't think dragging out forever ever really helps the situation, but you know, I guess it is a case by case basis. So it's just so fascinating. Everything we've talked about in this 30 minutes is just fascinating because it's all stuff that as fans it's like we only get a the, the tip of the iceberg of of all the inside here and, and that's what we try to provide at, at the fantasy injury team is the fans who only kind of see the tip of the iceberg of, of what's going on with injuries and, and we're mm-hmm. able to kind of give the depth of that so it's, it's really cool to hear your perspective on this yeah um we got one last question again this is christian adson his Twitter is at ASE underscore R-E-P-R. All other socials are ASE representation. He's the CEO and founder of ASE representation, a full service sports and entertainment rep- representation and marketing agency focusing on professional football, golf, lacrosse, and the NIL. Christian, last question for you. What are you doing on draft night? Yeah, man. So um, this is something that's super exciting that earlier this week, we kind of buttoned up what each of my players are doing for draft night. They're each going to, you know, kind of a bar slash restaurant and they have a room reserved for them. And, you know, the restaurant is covering, you know, the food and everything like that. So it's very exciting for for each of them to be there with their family in separate areas. You know, I think eventually I will want to be with my players on draft night. Um, You know, being a solo guy, I am, I am trying to build my agency off of quality of athletes over quantity. So a lot of agencies will try and go out and sign a draft class of five, six, seven, you know, 15 players. That's, that's not me. I think max two um, per year. And, you know, again, it's because I want that to be really personal. So I think eventually, you know, I'll be with one athlete for their pro day and my wife will be with the other athlete for their pro day, but 
for this year, my first draft, man, I just need to be somewhere super quiet. Cause again, like I, I have heard how it is, but I just, I still have no idea what to expect. So um, I, I've just got, I actually rented a hotel room, just a, a big hotel room with a couple of TVs, a couple of TV monitors, um, you know, computer monitors, and then chargers all over the room because, uh, you know, apparently my phone, my phone computer will just be ringing off the hook for, you know, a solid probably 72 hours. So I just need to, get a ton of coffee in me and uh, be ready to talk. Hell yeah, man. All right. Well, I, I wish, I wish you and both your guys, good luck and uh, 10 more days, man. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I always love the content that y'all put out. So again, it was an honor to be on. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. We'll have you on again soon. See you, man. Good stuff, Tom. Awesome. Awesome freaking interview there. Um, that, that, I think that was one of the most entertaining and unique interviews we've had on the show, just because there was so much insight he provided that the average fan had no idea about. I've been watching football for 31 years, and a lot of that stuff that he talked about was like new information to me. It was really, really cool. That's what's so fun about recording this because think about how many people we've recorded with we kind of, we get so many different voices um doctors and people that work at hospitals nfl agents i mean i hope for the fans too you guys are we always say enjoying it as much as we are but it is cool to learn about all this stuff and that's what we do tom right here i'm, I'm giving you history lessons and uh us as a team are given just football lessons and learning and, and helping everybody learn and educate themselves but why don't you tom Give us a little education. It's time for your segment here. Um, you're going to talk a little bit more about some more rookies. Again, this is the rookie show. Um, five players, which we'll get into here. And then we do have some more after that in our next interview. But Tom's going to take us through some of these rookies, some of their injuries, and and how they probably are going to shape up for this year. Sound good, Tom? Let's do it. All right. First one up, educate the people. Luke Musgrove. He is a tight end out of Oregon State. Uh, looks like it's an MCL injury and everything I'm seeing, he looks like, again, rookies in fantasy football, maybe not super relevant, but still good to start educating ourselves on these names. He looks like he's going to be a top rookie tight end next season. What do you have on Luke Musgrove? He had the MCL injury in week two. So we're talking like September. And that did require surgery, so that tells us it's a more severe MCL injury, but not an ACL, nothing else involved. He's As of March 4th, his surgeon gave him full medical clearance, full go, no restrictions whatsoever. I am not concerned at all here. If there is other tissues involved, particularly the ACL, I would be because it would be a much longer rehab timeline. Uh, but the, the MCL yeah. is less involved with knee stability, with cutting, with, with the proprioception that we're always talking about. Um, it is still very involved in those, but the, he's going to be just fine. He's going to have no repercussions from this, no long-term effects from this at all. Full go for OTAs, full go for camp. And I don't think we need to consider this when considering drafting him. Great to hear. And just like all these guys, going to be so fun to see. When's the draft? I should probably know the draft date, but it's on Thursday. Next Quite Thursday. soon. Quite soon. Yeah. Okay. So next week, um, it's going to be fun to see. I'll be there with my like clipboard. I do very nerdy things that like <laughs> try to guess where they're going to go. It's, it's so much fun, but we'll see where he winds up. And on to our next guy, another tight end at a Utah, Dalton Kincaid, a lumbar fracture. Um, that sounds terrible. But in your article, Tom, great article you talked about. 
his last season, massive 70 catches, 890 yards, eight touchdowns. What's going on with him? This guy's a beast and the lumbar fracture sounds bad, but most of the time, as long as the fracture doesn't impinge on the spinal cord or the, uh, the nerves exiting the spinal cord, it's really not that big of a deal. Unless of course it requires a major surgery as well. Fusion, things like that. In his case, that, that is not the case. He it was routine bone healing, which typically takes four to six weeks, but we've actually seen a lot of NFL players play through a lumbar fracture before. It very much depends what part of the bone is fractured. We don't always get that information, but if it's something called the transverse process, then it's not a risk for any kind of nerve issue. Um, and like that's that's where Derek Carr had had his back fracture, Tony Romo, and they they played through it. Um, and again, I mean, he's got the whole offseason to f- train in full. This is not going to affect him whatsoever. He is projected to be a very good pass catching tight end. So he's one that dynasty you definitely are interested in. And redraft, depending on where he lands, maybe the end of the draft you're considering him. This injury should not deter you from drafting him at all. I guess an injury that sounds more painful than it is. I just read lumbar fracture and uh, I'm wincing, but I'm sure it hurts very bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it doesn't have the severe effects that you would think unless of course, like I said, it's impinging on the spinal cord or the nerves or something more sinister. Sure. Okay. All right, three guys left for you, Tom. Uh, running back at a TCU, sat out of the national championship game in that wallop of a game. Uh, MCL injury, we're talking here about Kendra Miller. So talk to us a little bit about him, Tom, and Dynasty, or redraft, or obviously just his injury. What do you got on Kendra? Again, MCL injury that I'm not concerned about because he's going to have plenty of time to rehab this. And in fact, three weeks ago, he posted videos of him barbell squatting, and he looked fine. Now, what I want to make clear there is the MCL injury after the acute phase where there's a lot of swelling, stiffness, things like that, after that subsides, I wouldn't expect a squat to be challenging or painful anyway, simply because the MCL gets stressed with lateral motions, not a squat, which is in the same plane called the sagittal plane. Uh, So that it was really encouraging to see, but it, I would have been even more encouraged to see him doing some agility drills, plyometrics, things like that. But still, he's got so much time before week one. He should absolutely be ready to go for OTAs in a few weeks. Definitely ready to go for camp. This is not the type of injury that we see causing issues down the road typically. So I I don't think we have to be concerned about this as he enters his rookie season. Love it. Nothing like seeing a good off-season squat workout. A couple months, we'll start seeing Saquon Barkley squatting 25,000 pounds. Today, I saw a video of Christian McCaffrey doing like some track running hurdles, this and that. It's just like, it's go time. It's good. That's like what we're doing right now, Tom. We're doing like our off-season. Not that this is a very fun, important show, but it feels like we're like warming up. We're getting ready for the season and uh, getting good to go here. All right. Everybody's got to got to stay ready. <laughs> That's it. Another running back for you, Tom. I don't know what this means. Hopefully you can clear it up. Sean Tucker, running back out of Syracuse. Your article describes it as a medical exclusion. I'm going to sit back here and you're going to explain that to me. I have no idea what's going on with that. 
I wish I could explain it, but that is all the reporting says. So they're not telling us what the medical issue was that kept him out of the combine, but he never appeared too concerned about it. And as of a couple of days ago, he's he's cleared. So he's good to go. And by the way, Joe, have you seen what this man looks like? I did in my research earlier, but I don't remember. Does something stand out? Yeah, he looks exactly like Nick Chubb. Okay, so you're telling me to pick him. <laughs> pick him and pick him early. I, like, they're basically clones. I have homework, and I'm sure everybody at home right now is Googling Sean Tucker. And uh, if you're driving, please be careful in doing that. <laughs> or pull over to look at Nick Chubb version two. All right. Our last guy, Muhammad Ibrahim, our third running back here, running back at a Minnesota, oof, the dreaded Achilles tear, which we've, I'll let you talk about it, Tom. We've seen some improvement, I guess. But uh, what about Muhammad Ibrahim? Well, I wanted him on here just to, so he played all of last season. His injury was in 2021. So I wanted to put him on here just to talk about how, despite his injury being but despite him returning in a, roughly a year from his injury, he still went off for 1,665 yards and 20 touchdowns the year after his Achilles tear. Now, Minnesota, they didn't play elite defenses, but still, that's production. And only in a year after the Achilles tear, so this is a little more evidence that guys can potentially return from this injury and be successful. What he had going in his favor, that it was the same thing as uh, Cam Akers and Donta Foreman, incredibly young when this injury occurred. So when we look at these injuries going forward, we can have some hope that a guy can return from an Achilles injury if he's super young when it happened. That's still not a guarantee. There's still only a very small sample size of guys who have successfully returned from this injury but we're starting to see improvements in, in the, the surgeries and the re that allow more early aggressive rehabs. So perhaps the days of Achilles injuries, ending running max careers are getting closer to being behind us. I still wouldn't say that we're there yet. We need larger sample sizes of guys successfully returning from this injury, but we're starting to see some guys return from this injury successfully. Now he's not a super high prospect so it'll be interesting to see where he gets drafted if he gets drafted to see what his NFL career looks like but I just wanted to highlight that I thought it was it was great that he had it, so much production just a year after this devastating injury I share your skepticism Tom we'll continue to monitor that as well as all of these so Tom as always thank you for your expert opinions the doctor of physical therapy he's back in the house Tom Christ all right Got a bunch more players here to discuss. We will let that uh, be heard on our next interview here. So our next interview is with the really sharp, another really awesome interview, Nick Mazzillo of DLF uh, Football. He's going to give us a rookie breakdown. Going to talk about plenty more players again. Sharp guy, really, really good information. Enjoy this interview. And with us today is a very special guest, Nick Mazzillo. You could find him over on Twitter at BigMuzz26. That's Big M-U-Z-Z 26. Also, also over at DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Happy to have Nick on the show today. Played some college football over at Kane here in New Jersey. 
Covers a whole bunch of things. Covers Debbie, rookie prospects, the NFL draft, a, a well-rounded mind to, to bring on the podcast today as a draft analyst. And we're excited to pick his brain here, talk a little bit about rookies here in April. And uh, boys, we're getting closer to the NFL season here. But uh, first off, Nick, welcome to you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Joe. And thanks, Tom. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be excited to be on the show here with you guys and, and talk drafts and prospects. So uh, let's get it going. Let's get it going. So, uh, as you know, Nick, here at the Fantasy Injury Team, we are uh, we, we take the injury route of fantasy football here and, and providing fantasy content. So we've got a number of players coming into the draft this season with some form of injury concern. Um, I'd like to get your your insights on a couple of these guys. So I'll sure. start with kind of my medical perspective on them and then i'm just interested to hear what you have what your thoughts are on them and we'll start we'll start sure. down in louisiana with Keishon booty a guy who was looking like the next great lsu wide receiver and then fractures his ankle in 2021 which required season-ending surgery ultimately needed a second surgery um due to some complications Going into the 22 season, he was reported to be 100% healthy, but Mm -hmm. his production dropped significantly. This is the type of injury that we talk about a lot on this show, where these ankles, these feet, ankle injuries that require surgery, often there's lingering side effects from that. Sometimes they never fully regain the range of motion, which leads to all sorts of mechanical issues down the road or has the potential to. Um, stiffness, weakness, things like that can change the way a player runs that can affect their explosiveness, their speed, their agility, their jumping, but can also predispose them to future injury if not treated properly. What's going in his favor is that he's very young. So particularly the stiffness that, that we talked about before, he's got a better chance of fully regaining that motion thanks to his youth, um, but it's never a guarantee. So we saw his production drop significantly from 16.3 yards per catch in his freshman season down to just 11.2 last season. When you watch his film, Nick, was he a different player this past season than he was in his, in his prior seasons? You know, I, I only really watched him this year, Tom. Um, so I really can't judge off of 2021 or, you know, after or prior to this past season, but, I mean, there were there were times where he did flash that explosiveness that he, you know, was known for up until last year. Um, and, you know, it's possible that maybe the injury could have been lingering throughout the season. So, you know, I don't really have a good gauge of that. But I mean, you know, he still flashed explosiveness. He still, you know, showed that he had some, you know, he had some long speed. Um, but uh, one thing about Booty is that he's really. Yeah, you know, I mean, his stock has really dipped quite a bit from the end of this year, even through now. Um, you know, his testing, I mean, really, you know, his, me- his measurements, his testing, measurements, obviously, you can't really control that. But least his testing, athletic ability really hasn't popped the way you would hope for throughout this draft process. So that's really a concern. Um, you know, and it could be that the injury has continued to linger. Uh I guess there's nothing to really come out of that, but it's it's possible that maybe it hasn't been treated properly or maybe he hasn't done enough to fully heal from that um, compared to the way that uh, Jackson Smith and, and Jigba has. 
from this past year. So, uh, I mean, that's all up in the air. And, you know, the medicals are certainly probably playing a role, um, you know, and that, that's a huge red flag, especially if that's still lingering and if there's still a problem with the, with his, you know, with his, with his feet and his legs. And, you know, it, it's possible that it's, it's, you know, he's dipped all the way to a day three prospect, potentially even undrafted with just the way um, that has kind of translated off the field and, and throughout, you know, in between January, January and April here. So it's uh, definitely a concern, but I mean, if he's healthy, you know, booty, I mean, if he's healthy, he'll ha- he has a chance to be, he, I mean, he has a pretty good chance to hopefully regain that, that explosiveness and that, um, you know, and that dynamic ability that he showed in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. And, and that's kind of how I see it. You mentioned possibly dropping to a day three prospect, which if we're talking dynasty rookie drafts, he, you're not going to be spending a first round pick on him. You're probably not going to be spending a second round pick on him. So if he's flashed that upside in the past, yes, there's some medical concern more so than other players, but if you're not risking anything, why not take him? understanding that he does have probably more upside than somebody else that you would take in late round two, round three of a dynasty rookie draft. Where do you see him fitting into the NFL? Is he a, a outside receiver or a slot receiver? What's his role on the team? Yeah. So I think his role, Tom's best role is probably as that move. They call it the move uh, Z receiver, um, you know, for, for, what you know in case people don't understand or just to explain that so basically it's part of the offense or part of that that um a wide receiver as a wide receiver it's particularly the guy who's kind of moved around the formation going in motion um being used all different kinds of ways lining up in the backfield running jet sweeps uh just doing a little bit of everything there most of the time you know you like to you usually see them in uh in three wide receiver sets so it's that guy who's moving all around the formation a lot uh, I think that's his best fit because um, I don't I don't have it in front of me, but I think he's only maybe a shade, you know, just a, a shade north of six foot. Um, and he's probably only about uh, you know 190 to 200 pounds, so he's not built like an X receiver, like a big body receiver, but certainly can play that bigger type move receiver role. That's and I think that's his most the highest upside. I think he has is in that role because you know he's the kind of guy if you watch if you watch some of his film. You know, even this year, I mean, he showed an ability to, to, to take a, you know, five, 10 yard slant over the middle and turn it into a 75 yard touchdown. So he has that kind of ability. And yeah, I mean, if, if he continues to fall, even if he falls at day three as a draft pick, I mean, you know, if you go into rookie drafts, like it's, he's certainly the kind of guy that, you know, despite maybe not getting the, the, the draft capital or not going where he was really originally thought, like, you know, when you turn on the tape, you see somebody who, who can have, who can be a dynamic, who can be a dynamic player. So if, you know, depending on, depending on what your team looks like, what, what, if you're a contender or rebuild, whatever the case may be. I mean, I think for both, certainly a name to at least write down and keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And on to another guy whose draft stock has dropped a little bit due to a season ending injury talking Hendon Hooker of Tennessee quarterback here, ACL tear on November 19th. So what we've talked a couple episodes ago about some 
some factors that kind of help predict a player's readiness for mm-hmm. week one of the following season following ACL tear. Um, and some of these factors are age, timing of injury, number mm-hmm. of tissues involved, and are they just a freak athlete? So Hendon Hooker, his injury, November 19th, that puts him roughly over nine months to week one, which is not exactly in his favor for playing week one. It was an isolated ACL tear, which we like to see. No other tissues involved. He's 25 years old, a bit old for a rookie, and 25 is really that cutoff for Mm -hmm. is age working in your favor or is it not? So it's really a push. And I'd say he's a pretty darn good athlete. So he's got a couple things going in his favor, but overall, he's not going to be expected to be the week one starter wherever he gets drafted. So to me, I don't see this ACL injury as a factor whatsoever when I consider him in dynasty. Uh, because it, also the data tells us that quarterbacks are not nearly as affected by an ACL as other positions. Now he's a running quarterback and there, there's not a whole lot of data on running quarterbacks. We've talked about that with Kyler Murray, but overall I am not expecting this ACL injury to hinder his career because I don't think he's going to be expected to play in year one that much anyway, regardless of where he gets drafted. Um, right. I'm interested in what is your scouting report on him? Does he project as somebody who could eventually be an NFL starting quarterback? Is he an average quarterback, a, a star? Like, where do you see him? Yeah, Tom. Well, this is Hooker's probably one guy who's really rising up draft boards incredibly fast or incredibly fast right now, especially towards the end. In terms of mock drafts, he's been going in the first. Uh, quite a bit over this last month, maybe these last two weeks. So I think people are starting to see exactly the type of player Hendon Hooker is. Um, but I, you know, I don't think he's a star, but I mean, I think he's, he's a, I think he's a, a number one quarterback. I think he could be a guy that you can build an offense around. Um, and I think he could be a weekly starter um, week in and week out. You know, he has that type of ability. I mean, just from what I see, I mean, there's a guy who can, um, you know, fit into any offense. He has a good arm. Uh, he can make every throw. He can take he can take some touch off throws. I mean, he can layer him in there. He can he can zing him in there when he has to. Um, so he can fit throws into tight windows. You know, he can do it all. I mean, you know, at one point uh, he was probably considered the number five quarterback, ranked as number five quarterback. A lot of people had Will Levis over him, but if you were just to watch throughout the entire season, you were you know you would see the difference between a guy who was pro-ready and hooker compared to a guy who still has some seasoning, some development in Levis. So, yeah, I mean, hooker, I mean, he's continued to rise up draft boards. It makes, but it's justified in the sense that like this guy, you know, when you go in here, you're going to be able to build an offense around him and, you know, he's going to be able to explain, or if you get him on the whiteboard, as I say, you know, he'll probably, he'll be able to, um, you know, just, just talk football, just at least just talk X's and O's, uh, and when, once he gets in the building. So that's just, I don't know if that is the truly the case. It's just kind of from what I see in my evaluation, from what I see on the field and what he's shown, but you know, the age thing, I know it's going to scare some people off, but at the same time, um, I mean, if the guy can play, then he can play. So. Yeah. I, I love him for dynasty. Um, I, I hope that he lands somewhere where he, he doesn't need to, to be rushed mm-hmm. back. Like we saw uh, with Jamison Williams last year, the Detroit knew that they, they yeah. weren't competing for anything last year. So right. they let him 
have ample time to return. I hope that Hooker lands somewhere where that's the case. And I, I if he does, I am targeting him in Dynasty. Uh, like yeah. you're saying, the upside is tremendous with him. The upside is tremendous, and you know, you're looking right. You're looking at a guy who's no, yeah, he's not going to obviously he's not going to be ready to play as you mentioned. Um, so probably looking at the beginning. You know, I'm, what do you think? I mean, maybe by October, mid mid October, November. Uh, would that, you say? Yeah, that's a fair time frame for him right. to be coming into full clearance, full everything. But even then, he's yeah. got to learn the NFL. He's got to learn the playbook and all that stuff. So right. unless he's like hits the ground running, I, mm-hmm. I would find it hard to believe that he's really utilized by a team this season. But I'm, yeah. I'm looking year two for him big time. And then we got one more. Rook, incoming rookie with injury concerns that I want to mm-hmm. talk about before we get into some non-injured guys. We got Jackson Smith and Jigba. This guy mm-hmm. was a machine in 2021. 95 yeah. catches, 1,606 yards, and nine touchdowns. This guy was lighting college football on fire. 22 comes around, and he only plays three games after injuring his hamstring, which no. he, can, he had additional injuries to throughout the season. We know that hamstrings have a high recurrence rate. These injuries, the the existence of a previous hamstring injury increases the risk for a re-injury by 2.7 times, which is quite significant, especially in receivers because the hamstring has the most load and most strain on it when we get close to our peak speed, which takes 40, 50 yards of sprinting to get to. So receivers and corners are really the only positions that are getting up to that speed routinely, which is why they are more prone to these injuries. All that said, he's very young, which is bodes well for healing and recovery. He's got the entire offseason to rehab. Mm-hmm. I see no reason for him to not be hitting the ground running from a medical standpoint. Like he, he should be at 100% by the time camp comes around. Is he yeah. still the top receiver in the class? That's what I want to know because if he is, then he's my wide receiver one in this draft class. Yeah, no, he's he's still wide receiver one, um, and there's really no reason for him not to be. Yeah, I mean, ob- obviously, that value. I mean, obviously, with him being out of, for 2022, I mean, didn't have didn't really build off of um, what he had from 2021. But you know, so he had to go back, kind of watch his 2021, and just see, and you know, and just compare him to to the very limited sample of games that he had this year, but, you know, see a guy who's dynamic. I mean, who's a volume, you know, target monster, um, a guy who can, who has, you know, who can, who can make catches in volumes. I mean, racking up 95 catches and over 1600 yards in the big 10 with that level of competition and dominating. I mean, it shows you the kind of upside and ceiling that he has in the NFL, but yeah. And Jigba, I mean, I think he. I think he just proved everything. How healthy he is all throughout the the um, all throughout the draft process. You know, he didn't he didn't compete in any of the uh, bowl games, but at the combine, I mean, he was clearly the best receiver in those workouts. Um, you know, really just as they say, crushed the combine and solidified himself as a wide receiver one. There's really no reason why you should move off him. Um, he's probably going to be a top six pick. Love to hear it. I mean, that's all you really need to hear. Like, again, medically, I'm not overly concerned. I think he's going to be locked and loaded no matter where he lands. Let's move into some uh, some non-injured players. Uh, Really some open-ended questions here. Nick, who stood out to you the most at the Senior Bowl? I know you you really what you really tuned into the to the Senior Bowl. Tell us what stood out the most to you. 
Yeah, Tom. So a couple of guys who really stood out. Um, you know, the first first couple of guys I thought of. Uh, number one was the, the kid out of Stanford, Michael Wilson. Uh, he was a big receiver, X type receiver. Uh, was about six six three, six four, uh, about two hundred and ten, fifteen pounds. Has a, has a pretty has a pretty a, um, substantial injury history though. So that certainly could be something that you know for later on down the road. Um, if we do another podcast here, I'd, I'd be happy to to talk about him further uh, a little more. And it could be something you know for you to take a look at as well and just see how maybe that projects uh, at the next level with that injury history. But he was a guy that really stood out for me. Uh, Jaden Reed, uh, Michigan State. He was another guy that really popped as well. Um, that's really uh, has really come along strong here. Uh, so that as for you know as receipt that's for the receiver position for quarterback. There's one quarterback I wanted to mention was Jake Hayner. Um, he was really the best quarterback at the Senior Bowl. Uh, kid out of Fresno State, a decent arm, a strong arm. He can make every throw. Uh, really knows how to how to just layer throws and also just take take the speed off of. Uh, throws when he has to. So, uh, but, you know, he's a guy who can, uh, who understands how to move off of uh, number one, knows how to move safeties and, 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 you know, and can move them with his eyes and, um, you know, know what he has on the backside uh, if he has one-on-one coverage. And then also, uh, you know, he's a guy who really is just very intelligent. Um, he's able to, to kind of jump through all of his progressions from, you know, number one, two and three, and just work through that. Um, and then, and also the biggest thing I liked about him was his ability to, to fit uh, throws through tight windows, which is to me, uh, that, that's one of the, that's one of the traits I look for when evaluating quarterbacks is can they fit throws into tight windows because they close so much faster at the college level. And he was able to do that, you know, for running backs, uh, just kind of, just kind of taking a look here. Um, Ty J Spears is probably the, the guy who's gaining the most traction right now. Um you know, he's a guy who's really starting to rise up, uh, rise up draft boards here from, in, in terms of the senior bowl. Roshan Johnson, get out of Texas. Uh, he was he was one. Uh, he ended up getting hurt, unfortunately, but he looked good um, in the in his first couple practices there. Uh, one guy that I'm probably a lot higher on. Um, now, he didn't play in the senior bowl, but uh, it is a name that I would certainly keep an eye on and consider um, is Israel Abinaconda running back out of Pittsburgh. I think I'm probably a lot higher on him than some others, but listen, clocking, uh, clocking, a, clocking a sub four, four, uh, 40 at, at your pro day, um, at five eleven, two hundred sixteen 216 pounds, uh, is, is nothing, you know, certainly we're open some eyes. So, um, but not only that, but you know, that, and that four, three speed, that sub four, four speed certainly pops on tape and, and it, and it really, it matches what the numbers say. So, you know, he's a guy, obviously, I mean, if you go, go back and look at his stats, I mean, you'll see a guy who didn't have a whole lot of passing work, but, you know, there was enough to that I think could provide some upside, um, but at least as a, you know, as a, as a runner of the football, I mean, what's not to like, I mean, he can break off long gains at any point, create impact plays, and he has a long speed, like I said, to maybe turn a 10-yard run into a 75-yard touchdown, so. Uh, he's another guy that I would that I'm probably like I said I'm a lot higher on than most, but um, one I really like that you could probably get towards the back end of round two and early round three. Awesome, love that insight. Let's move into utility into fantasy football. So mm-hmm. give me give me two or three guys who you think are some nice 
dynasty rookie draft sleepers. So not the obvious first round guys, but me, you guys are getting in second, third, fourth round, two or three guys who could, who could help your team either this year or, or in the future. There is one running back, but I think is a little bit lower uh, than consensus. And that's tank Bigsby. Um, out of Auburn. Um, you know, he's probably going to be, you know, I've seen him go as high as mid second, but I've seen him go as low as, you know, uh, almost like early third, mid third. So he's a guy has kind of a wide range, but, um, you know, the guy that I really liked that I think some people are just sleeping on right now. I've seen him a lot lower than where, than where people have him, but you know, he's another guy who's really, really produced his talent really stood out on bad teams, especially those Auburn teams weren't very good, but the last two seasons he's had double digit touchdowns. But if you look at the measurables, um, 5'10", um, I'm sorry, uh, he's right around 5'10", 5'11", 210, 212 pounds. Um, but, you know, and his, the speed, you know, he has some pretty good speed. Um, but as for him, I mean, it's all about just like the way he runs. He runs with power. Uh, he runs tough. Um, you know, and also he he was he had some really good upside as a receiver as well. So he can you know, he was able to, uh, like I said, had a knack for the end zone with double digit touchdowns the past two years. But also uh, he can be used as a receiver as well. So I think he's a guy who some people may see as more of a complimentary piece. But I think he's a guy who could be a featured back and really surprise some people. Um, you know, another guy, uh, some other guys that I like here, um, as far as, you know, if you look at wide receiver, let me see. I mean, like I said, I, I you know, I mentioned Jaden Reed. I did mention uh, Michael Wilson. But, you know, one guy really, I think, could be, you know, more of a sleeper would be the uh, kid out of Fresno State, Jalen Cropper, wide receiver for Fresno State. You know, he's another guy who's like a, who's kind of that slot, like hybrid slot and move receiver role, but extremely explosive. Um, has some good breaks in and out of his routes, good hands, fast, you know, I don't know if he'll get, I don't know if he'll, he's probably more of a day three pick, but if he kind of, even if he does, um, you know, I think he's a guy that could be, that could make some sense for your team. The, the tight end group is really, really where it's kind of that position I like where you can throw some guys in your, you know, your dynasty squad in that taxi spot. Um, so a lot of developmental guys here. Um, you know, one guy that I really that I really like that I think would be really good. You know, just to just throw on your roster there would be Sam Laporta, um, a kid out of Iowa. Um, you know, you know what I like most about him is he's got some good. He's got good hands. He can catch. He's kind of a what they call a yak monster, as they say. And, you know, um, but uh, he's a guy who can pick up yards. Uh, you know, and, and kind of work the short area of the field. But um, he, he's a guy who can turn like a five yard flat route into about 20 25 yard gain uh just has that kind of athletic ability and really tested well at the combine um i know a lot of people he might not be a guy that most people are sleeping on um but he is a guy that like a good developmental guy is a kid out of old dominion zach Kuntz. uh just extremely athletic uh really really just just popped at the combine uh with his athletic met with his measurables and his athletic testing um you know, it's going to need some development, but he's a guy uh, who maybe has some really high upside as well. Yeah. And, you know, just like in the NFL, sometimes your dynasty roster, it's made on those second, third round picks. All right, let's move into the last question. Who is one player that is way overhyped right now and you think is the most likely to bust? Hmm. Yeah, the first thing that came to mind here, Tom, 
I know it's a little, it's probably a little bit, probably too chalky, but it's, it's probably Jalen Hyatt, um, get out of, uh, Tennessee. So he and Cedric Tillman, you know, so I'll put it like this. I'd rather have Tillman over Hyatt, to be honest, um, on my roster and especially in, in dynasty or, or, or even redraft leagues right now. I mean, I don't think either of them will make us have a, a soup, have too much of a big impact, but one guy who's probably going where maybe he shouldn't be just because there is some, uh, a transition period and adjustment period, uh, would be Hyatt. Um, you know, so he's one guy that, uh, that, that I see that I would probably be off of. Um, another guy that I think has been a little overhyped that I, you know, I'm probably out on would be Darnell Washington, um, the kid out of Georgia. You know, I understand, you know, that he is an athletic freak. Um, so he is like a physical specimen, but I just didn't see that translate so much, um, you know, on the field in terms of, you know, his dominance. Those are two guys that I, that, that all throughout the, all throughout this draft season, I've thought of, you know, I've just been a little bit lower than most. Well, Hey Nick, we, we, we appreciate your insight. It's fantastic insight right there again is it's nick mazillo at big muzz 26 on twitter you can also find him mm -hmm. on r d scouting and dl football all right nick we appreciate you thanks tom um i appreciate it tom one more thing before i go uh, another name that i have in mind that i want people really to, to keep in mind um is wide receiver at perry out of wake forest uh, he's another guy um you know, that I think some people are sleeping on that you can get late that I think has upside as a wide receiver too, and like a steady weekly wide receiver too that you can put out there uh, and trust each week. So he's another guy I really like that I've liked all throughout the season, the football season and the draft season. So um, that was kind of my, my, you know, kind of a party shot before I left one more uh, for your listeners just to uh, consider. So, uh, but thank you guys again so much. It was truly a pleasure and I hope to be on again soon. All right. Enjoy the draft. Thanks, Tom. Tom, I don't know where you're finding these people, but keep doing what you're doing. Some really, really great minds out there. Two really solid interviews, man. Three if you count yours. And many more to come throughout the season. That's it. That's what we're here for. And as always, to you guys, the listener, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Hope you learned something. Hope you had fun with us on the show. Don't forget, drop a like, drop a follow. We are the Fantasy Injury Team Podcast, and we'll see you guys soon.